Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Instruct us, guide us. The guy up here is going to talk, but ultimately you're going to do the teaching. And we honor you for loving us so much that you would speak to us and teach us and instruct us. We, we just thank you for your goodness and order our steps in this service. In Jesus' precious name, and we all say amen. amen. First Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. We looked at this passage maybe about two and a half years ago, and it stirred in my heart again this morning. So we're going to look at it again. First Kings 17 and 1. Now Elijah. Elijah's name, by the way, means Yahweh is God. The Tishbite. Whenever a major Bible figure is um, referred to by geography instead of ancestry, it's very, very telling about that person. And by doing so, because by the way, the Jewish people, everything was related to gene genealogy and ancestry. You got land based on who your daddy was. So, so it really mattered where you came from. And they took meticulous records of where everyone came from. But, but here, they don't mention his father. All they say was that he was the Tishbite. And by doing so, they were basically saying he was a nobody from nowhere in that culture. And then it goes on to add of Tishbe in Gilead. Now, Gilead was a wild and mountainous region. It bordered on Arabia, and it had a very, very heavy Arab influence. Some scholars think that uh, uh, his genealogy was not mentioned because he was an Ishmaelite or a Gentile. So uh, there might be something to that. Scripture says this Elijah said to Ahab. This is a man, again, with suspect origin, but he gets an audience with the king of Israel. You see, when it comes to opening doors, it doesn't matter where you're from. What matters is who sent you. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Now, we don't know who his daddy was, but he was 100% convinced of who his heavenly father was. He knew that God was his daddy. And he, and he talked with a level of confidence. He said, listen, as the Lord, the God of Israel is before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these what? Years in the plural. Now, imagine standing before President Obama, and, and you made it into the White House. Somehow, I don't know how you made it in, but you made it in. You get before him, and you're in the Oval Office, and you say, you know what? It's not going to rain in Washington, Virginia, or D.C., spring, summer, winter, or fall, until I say so. The audacity of such a statement, either you're crazy or you have heard from God. Then he adds, except by my word, or until I what? Say so. Elijah not only understood who his God was, he understood who he was. 
He walked in his God-given authority. Let me tell you something I've learned as a pastor, something I learned as a father. The power that I choose or the authority I choose not to use will typically be used against me. If I don't discipline, the the lack of discipline is going to create another set of problems. Does that make sense to you? If you don't plant grass, guess what's going to grow? Weeds. So if you don't use your authority rightly, other things will grow that you wish wouldn't in their what? Place. So if the righteous do not stand up and take their positions, guess what? Somebody else will. So as long as the church is afraid and all, you know, hiding it in our churches, the culture loves that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Unless we stand up, no one will know and no one will hear. And largely, it's our fault. Verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here. Elijah, I need you to get out of Dodge. You, you know, you would think speaking for God would be a little more rewarding. I mean, here you go. You're hearing from God, speaking for God. And then God says, leave, run, and turn eastward and hide. Once again, imagine having an accurate, not a crazy, incident, a lot of crazy religious people with scriptures on their tongue, but, but imagine having an accurate message from the almighty God. I mean, God almighty. And instead of him fighting for you, he tells you to hide. Might that be a little bit upsetting? This was really hard for me to understand as a young man. I didn't get all this turn the other cheek stuff, and it really grated on me. John chapter 8 and verse 58, we're going to see the same thing in our master, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to them, verse 58, truly I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Now, wasn't that the name God used in the burning bush? That's the name God used when he spoke to Moses, Yahweh, if you will, or Yahweh. This was one of his clearest statements of deity in all of the Gospels. So when they heard it, they understood exactly what he meant. And they picked up stones to what? Throw at him. But Jesus hid himself. Say it isn't so, Jesus. I mean, couldn't you just open up a little can of, you know, just, just a little bit, Lord? Maybe just a little bit of blindness or, or maybe a few arms, just a couple arms fall off or something, Jesus, you know? I'd read stuff like that, get upset. But Second Peter 3 and 9 explains a little. And Peter was like me, and, and, and Peter had a problem with Jesus taking a beating, and, and he betrayed the Lord when he saw it. He said, that's not the guy I know. When they tried to throw you off a cliff, you walk right through the crowd, and, and here you are being beaten by this high priest who you created, by the way, and, and Peter just had a problem. He said, I don't, I don't want any part of that God. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. In other words, don't confuse his uh, kindness for weakness. God can go there if he has to, but he'd rather not. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. 
The only reason God has not released his wrath on earth by now is because he's waiting on that last child to repent and to turn. Matthew uh, 24 and 14 tells us a little bit more, but it's out of the mouth of Jesus. Listen to this. Right now you're learning how, how God thinks. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole, how, how, how much? The whole world as a testimony to Western nations, to America, to all nations. And then when? Then the end will come. Scripture is saying, Christ is saying, our master Jesus is saying, he will not judge the whole world until the whole world hears. This is why we're so impassionate, so, so passionate about TV and, and radio. We, we, we get into people's cars, and, and actually we're in over 60 nations over the world through some of our television program. Why do we do that? Because Christ will not come until that last child. I don't know where that child lives. I don't know if he's in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if he's somewhere in the backwoods of India. I, d I don't know. But when that last person in that number comes in, at that moment, the sky is going to crack. Are you hearing me? It's going to break open, and with a shout, the trumpet, and an archangel, we shall all behold him and see him as he is. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach what? Repentance. Again, God could have easily ended this a long, long time ago, but it's that last child, that last love. Now, now many of us say, oh, you know, since, since we're in, you know, Lord, just come and kill all them dead. But, but you know what? God was patient with us. He didn't come 10 minutes before I said yes. He waited, and he's still waiting for that last person to say yes to this message of his kingdom. 1 Kings 17, 3. He speaks to the king. And then God responds by saying, leave from this place. Depart and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. Again, what a reward for speaking God's word. What did he say? He said, leave, turn, and hide. And then he says, you shall drink from the brook. He didn't say you're going to drink at Trump Towers. Didn't mention the four seasons. No, he was saying, listen, Elijah, in this season, you're going to have to learn to enjoy the simple pleasures. If you are going to make your life count for God, you cannot let the ease and comforts of life rule you. Sometimes God will send you into hard places and you cannot fall apart. Philippians 4 and 12, and we're going through this financial crisis in this area, so it just, it's fitting to, to look at what the scriptures say about people in similar circumstances. Paul here is talking about his personal finances. And in verse 12, he said this, I know how to be brought low. I know how to work and I know how to be out of work. And I know how to abound. 
I know how to be broke, and I know how to do it big. Now, a lot of people read that wrong, and all they read is he knows how to be low. Paul's also saying, I know how to do it big. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know how to also have means. When I first entered the ministry, this is years ago. Now, I, 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 I worked, and, and I worked actually my way through college, and, and then after college, I, I worked for General Foods in New York, and, and after that, I worked for a civil rights organization, and, and I, 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 I was a working guy, and, and I even had businesses while I was in, in college. But when I finally answered my call to the ministry, I had to begin to believe God for every single meal. And uh, at, at this point in my life, God had called me. I know this might sound strange to you, but God called me to study. And I would study the scriptures and, and books about the Bible eight to ten hours a day. So here I am in my mid-20s. Uh, uh, I'm not married. I, I don't have kids yet. So because of that, it offered me some, some freedom. So basically what I would do is I'd pick up odd jobs every, every now and then to make ends meet, but, but the reality is I didn't have a, a standing, typical, you know, nine to five job. And I was criticized pretty roundly for that. And I, and I can understand why people might, might not get that. But it was something God had assigned me. It's really the foundation for much of what you hear out of my mouth today with those years in study, those years where I had to forego, you know, my friends were earning six-figure uh, incomes and looking at me like, what you doing, man? You know, you're preaching, you what, the Bible, what, what's that doing for you? And they, they'd look down on me and criticize me, but there was something in my heart. I knew God had called me to this thing, and, and the only thing that really made me happy was God's Word and, and His presence, and, and I'd invest hours into it. And in that season, God taught me. Now, before that time, again, I was in college, and I actually rented out a house. I had a lot of money because I, I made money from the rental, and, and then I had a job. And, and on top, I, I, man, I, I ran with some rich people, and, and I, did, I had resources. In college, man, I was doing it. But after I met the Lord, <laughs> at that point in my life, I knew how to live high. But God had to teach me how to live low. And you will go through the vicissitudes of life, the ups and downs. And the issue is really not so much how much you have, but who you have with you in that season. So don't be soon shaken because you have a little financial setback. That's part of life. God will take care of it. God will be with you in the challenging times when you haven't worked for now two weeks. These government folks need to get their acts together. Some of y'all, two weeks. But still, listen, I had to learn how to, what, to be brought low and how to abound in any and what, every comfortable and what, uncomfortable, listen to, listen to Paul here, I have learned, this takes learning, you can't just hear one preaching and get this fixed, it takes learning. I had to learn something. So there was a season of hand to mouth until I learned that, you know what, uh, my blessing doesn't come by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I need to obey God. I need to learn obedience. And God will cause you to walk sometimes through difficult places to teach you how to obey. And that obedience is best and right. He had to deal with my pride, had to deal with my arrogance. I thought I was all that. He had to show me you're not, you know, and I had to come to really understand that as a young man. But Paul said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, meaning a lot. So Paul knew how to have what? A lot. 
but also hunger, which means very little here. It may surprise you, but it takes almost as much grace to be rich than it does to live in poverty. It takes grace to, to still care. It takes grace to still be hungry for God when, when you could call the doctor. It takes grace to still stay hungry for God when you could pay your bills and you don't have to pray about it anymore. It takes grace to still have a prayer life. It takes grace to be wealthy. It takes grace to be poor. But listen to the secret. And, and by the way, just, just so you, you just don't think I'm, I'm, I've just lived this charmed life. I've been criticized in the ministry for being too poor. I didn't drive flashy enough cars, and people would come to me, I don't want to follow a guy like you. But now people criticize us for being too big. No matter what I do, I'm running into problems. So I'm just learning, I'm learning, by the way, learning to just ignore them and do what I do. But 13 is the secret, again, to handling whatever financial state you might find yourself. Here's the secret. The context, again, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, but watch this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whether I'm by a brook or I'm in an overlook of the Potomac, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. As long as God has given me strength for the task and the situation I'm in, I'm going to be okay. I can do it. I can handle it. <laughs> Facing a lot of things, though, the only question is, does God got you? If he got you, you're going to be okay. Back to 1 Kings 17 and 4. Again, he speaks the word of the Lord, and, and you think that he'd get a great pat on the back, and, and everybody would come and celebrate him. Instead, he has to run and hide. And in verse 4, God says to him, I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. I really need you to pay attention to what we just read. He said, I will feed you there. But if you're over here and God has called you over there, you will miss your provision. God never fails to provide. Never. We fail to obey. He said, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Until you get to your there, you will not know what it's like to be provided for by God. Now, you might be able to provide for yourself. But you will never discover what God has for you until you get where God has told you to go. Unless I went to my place called there every Sunday. And by the way, I went to there when people were avoiding this church by the thousands. Y'all didn't catch that. <laughs> At this point in my life, I'm making a meager, meager salary, giving away more than half of my income Every year, even though we didn't, man, man, little struggling, challenged, but it was still my there. And because I went to my there, then I am at my here now. But you have to find your there. Where is your there? 
In a moment, we're going to go to Jesus and we're going to see something. But I have found a lot of times your there is not geographic like it was here with Elijah. Often there is on the inside. Often there is a mentality. There is an attitude. There is a maturity level. You see, once it happens on the inside, man, you can't stop it on the outside. The the, the longest journey you'll ever take starts where? Within. That's the most important journey of your life. Luke 17, verse 20, 21, New King James here, Jesus speaking. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, let me just pause there. Part of my place called there was gaining enough confidence to speak the way I do. I mean, you, 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 a lot of you are newly introduced to, to me in, in this ministry here. But the challenge used to be, first of all, I'd want to run every time I was called to preach. Man, it, it, man my heart would stop beating. I, I feel like I had, I'd go to the bathroom by myself. I mean, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. I still have a habit of going to the bathroom before I minister because I was so frightened because I, I knew the things I was saying were just a little bit countercultural and, and from another world. I didn't have a denomination support me. I didn't have a, a, a pastor really mentoring me at this time. And that's why I'm so passionate about mentoring others because of, uh, I don't want anyone to go through what, what I had to go through as, as a young man. And, you know, I'd preach God's word, but then I'd watch the fallout. I watched church members get mad at me. I watched them punish me. I, I watched them sometimes hurt me. Now, 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 everybody wasn't totally nasty, but I had, a, I had this, this group, and, 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 and it, it, it was a challenge. And when you're in a small church, oh, God, my heart goes out to pastors of small churches. Why? Because when you're in a little rowboat, Let's say you, maybe a canoe, maybe you get five people in this canoe, but you just get one or two people to stand up, the whole thing is flipping. But when you get yourself in, in one of them uh, cruises, those, those, what do you call them things, the, 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 the uh, cruise liners, somebody could tear up their room, they could be cutting up the walls, jumping up and down. The floor beneath has no idea. And when you pastor a small church, people know that intuitively. And the first thing they say is, I'm out of here, I'm going to go. And every Sunday, the threat is on you if you don't please them. Not only are they going, they're taking all their friends, and they're going to criticize you over lunch and dinner and make your life a living hell. As a pastor, you know that and the people know that in a small setting. So when I was standing preach, I knew what type of ears it was falling on. I knew everyone was happening. I knew I was going to be punished every week for what I said. But I had to go through that process, deal with the punishment. I'd have Sunday say, well, this is, this is Sunday. I think I'm about to lose about a third of my people. You ready, Lord? <laughs> and I walk into the pulpit. Sure enough. Sure enough. And because of it, man, you get beat up a little bit. And, you know, public speaking, now you just think that I'm just like this. Public speaking can be frightening. Some people say it's the biggest fear they have in life except for death. I do it every week with a message that sometimes pokes and pricks people. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.